SEO This Week, episode number 43. Hey everyone, my name is Clint Butler from Digital Ear and welcome to another episode. This week we actually have 11 sites we want to highlight, some great stories, some great information. And then we're going to wrap up the show with an interview with Derek Booth on PPC. We're going to talk about his keyword phishing technique and some ideas to help you properly set up your AdWords campaign in order for you to not only save a lot of money, but you get some more conversions, uh, especially through your use of keywords and selecting terms. It's a great interview. Uh, It goes on probably around 45 minutes, almost an hour. I think you'll enjoy it and you'll find it at the end of the episode. That way you can get your news and information or just jump ahead to the episode, to the, uh, to the interview if you want. Keep in mind though, he is going over some stuff using the screen. You can get a general information if you're listening to it on the podcast, but the video would probably do you better justice. You come to the website and check out the video version if you're listening to us on the podcast. So without further ado, how about we get started? So our first website is Kissmetrics Blog. It's Don't Interrupt Me, How to Engage Your Customers uh, Without Annoying Them. It's actually pretty good. What it basically does is gives you some tips on how to, uh, you know, what you should be doing to to reach out to them and, and kind of to uh, uh, engage with them uh, without having to constantly ask for sales. Now, keep in mind, it's written from the perspective of if you shouldn't be asking for sales, you should provide value. And that seems like it's a great marketer, especially digital marketer, uh, ping that's going on these days. Unfortunately, if you don't ask for the sale and you're always providing value, you're not making any money. You got to ask for the sale at some point. And customers are smart enough to realize that. Basically, what we like to do is recommend to start off with value, provide value, and then at the end of that value provision session or point or article or video or whatever you're doing, ask for something uh, from your customers. You gave them something. You should be entitled to ask them for something. And you don't have to be a you know a used car salesman, quote unquote, uh, method of doing that. But you always should be asking. That's how you're going to get the conversions in the end. Uh, some of the ideas that they come across here in the article is prioritize your customer needs. Uh, don't overload them with too much information. That goes along lines of conversion optimization testing. Uh, convey your message differently depending on the networks you're going to. Or if let's say you're doing email, for instance, send different seven different emails. And you can be talking about the same exact topic. You just say it in a different way, in seven different ways. And maybe you'll resonate with one personality type versus resonating with another. Uh, You can do that with your landing pages and your ads as well. Uh, Avoid inconvenient surprises. What I don't like is, you know, adding upsells or changing the way your uh, your cart works or abandoning or setting up a way like you, you, you take PayPal for instance and then one day someone tells you that they're the worst credit card company on the planet so you switch to Stripe and it knocks out all of your uh, ability to take payments from people that are who use and operate mostly on PayPal uh, those kind of things and then engage in a timely manner if you're going to, to try to get people to talk to you uh, on comments and social media or maybe they're doing video responses for you then take the time to respond to them don't uh, you know 
have someone talking to you on Facebook, for instance, and then not say at least thank you for your kind words or something to that effect on that very same day. Have a plan in place in order to accomplish that. And that's what this article kind of goes into. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a good read. Um, it gets the uh, creative juices flowing and the mind juices flowing uh, on uh, what to do with your your engagement, and specifically in social media and email, in my, my opinion. The next site is stonetemple.com, uh, ranking videos on Google and YouTube, a case study to show how they differ. It's actually a pretty decent case study. Now, if you're into YouTube marketing in any way, then duh, you realize that they're, they're two different algorithms. They're asking for two different things. The short version of this post is if you want to rank on YouTube, go for views, viewer engagement, length of views, uh, likes, etc. And if you want to rank on Google, get links to your videos. That's the short version. Um, but they show some interesting statistics about where a video, like if it's number one in sample here, is the video ranked ninth in Google, but in YouTube it was... Uh, number five, and then a video that ranked fifteenth in Google is actually number one in YouTube. So it, it shows all there that there is a different, definite disparity between the two algorithms. They might be the same company, but they're following different rules. So uh, something to think about when you're trying to leverage uh, video marketing as a tool. Now YouTube is the second largest search engine, so you're going to get uh, plenty of video view traffic from there if you just focus on YouTube. Uh, and then adding the Google thing, you know, it, it's it's pretty good. Local businesses are kind of hurting right now, be, especially when you're talking about video marketing on Google because a lot of people uh, were making those mass channels and creating the same video, targeting a whole bunch of the same keywords in multiple cities, and Google just had enough of it and said, hey, all right, you want to do that, so we're just not going to show uh, videos in the local search results anymore. There you go. We fixed it. Now you Go ahead and do whatever you want to do on YouTube. Uh, it's not going to matter. It's not going to affect users or us on the uh, Google search results. So that basically, that lazy marketing just kind of burned the uh, the opportunity to use video marketing in local, uh, especially for smaller businesses. Um, so that is what it is. Is that a rule across all terms? No, not at all. Uh, there are some terms that are still showing videos. Uh, but if, for the most part, I think you'll find that most terms, uh, especially the local service area businesses, uh, don't have video in the search results. So check it out first before you go ahead and, oh, I want to make a video to rank in Google. See if there's actually one in there right now. Uh, and that will give you a good indication. If you don't see a video in the top four or five pages of the search results, you're probably not going to rank a video in there. Practical e-commerce, uh, emails for signups. Yeah, for email signups, is it better to use a double opt-in or single opt-in? Ever since I started marketing on the internet, this has been a question that pops up from time to time. And frankly, it really depends on the quality of the list. Uh, what I mean is, for a single opt-in, let's say you're giving away an ebook, you want to get single opt-in, and the only purpose is to generate a big list. You, the bigger your list, obviously, you have a greater chance for uh, conversions. However, if you have a double opt-in list, that not only means they signed up for your free thing or whatever you use to get them to opt up, but then they took the extra step to go into their email and confirm that uh, uh, that they wanted to join. Now, here's what you get. 
you can have a smaller list, but they might actually convert better than your larger single opt-in list. Uh, because they've already said not only once, but they've said twice, yes, I want you to email me. Uh, and when you're sending good content in your email, it'll actually pay off for you. Single and double, they both have arguments to and from. The double is you can just kind of just another way to protect yourself from uh, quote unquote spam complaints. You know, people sign up for stuff all the time and then they email you saying you're spamming them. Well, you signed up for my list. What did you think? Where I was going to send you, you know, <laughs> I'm going to mail to you. Uh, versus the single opt-in list where you can just get people who are going to sign up to your list. And it costs money to have subscribers on your list uh, beyond just emailing them. Just to have them on your list, it costs you money. So um, you really have to balance out the two. What is your goal? Uh, is this a long-term list? Are these going to be buyers? Uh, you know, I make a list for newsletter people and I have a separate list for buyers. Uh, and they both get different things at times. So... Uh, you need to think about that too. So I check it out. Honestly, look at your market. Look at your tolerance for, you know, basically what's more important to you, the number uh, or the quality, and make your choice based off of that. Uh, and the article pretty much goes along the same lines. I think there's a couple more uh, considerations that were brought up, but it's a short read and you might enjoy it. Next is uh, MarketingSherpa.com. It's their blog. It's Marketing One. One is Pogo Sticking. Honestly, I think they must be really, really hurting for content at this point at Marketing Sherpa because they just named Pogo Sticking. All it is is they're talking about the bounce rate on your website. Is your bounce rate, does a high bounce rate affect uh, your rankings? Does your high bounce rate uh, indicate that your content primarily sucks. Does your high bounce rate indicate that your name bounce rate pogo sticking in order to grab uh, some clickbait? Uh, that would be significant to me, in my opinion. You know, marketing 101, what is pogo sticking? Really, I'm not going to. Unless you're doing a marketing 101, a legit thing, I don't see the point of writing this article. Um, beyond, there are some things that do cause bounce rate, slow page, low time, videos that autoplay. I kind of disagree with that one, unless you're. Uh, on a mobile thing and you just don't want to hear the video playing right off the bat or you're searching the internet at night and you don't want kids to sleep but okay uh, or too many pop-up windows yeah I can see that and a confusing cluttered outdated design that's probably the number one thing that I see uh, white hat black hat or business owners they're making this website just too much uh, information on the site that is not formatted properly to make it easy to read. So, uh, if I gave an example on uh, the the blog uh, of a website, it's great content. It's curated and original, uh, created by the author. Uh, plus, there's some other people who added their own insights to it. I think it's like twelve thousand words. It's a matter of pride for the the creator, but you can't read it. It's just painful to read because there's absolutely no formatting whatsoever. Uh, and go on into it. Um, so, you know, if you're going to create something that is quote unquote a great piece of content, then you should take the quote unquote, the time to actually format it so it's uh, readable uh, to the user. Uh, and basically, that's one of the things that I think. So, again, what is pogo sticking? Pogo sticking is marketing Sherpa's cute name for uh, bounce rate. Um, decent information if you're looking at bounce rate or you're wondering why your bounce rate is low and here's some things to look at but otherwise probably 
a good skip article if you're a uh, moderate to intermediate advanced SEO. Blumenthal's.com, Google Websites passes 250,000 sites created. It sounds great, but in the U.S. there's only 16,000 of these. Basically what it is, you go to Google My Business and you click on the little website thing in the menu bar that they added. And it takes a your, your snapshot of your Google My Business page, including your descriptions, uh, services, times, and the photos, and makes a quote-unquote website for it. Uh, and then... What a lot of people don't know is once you turn that on, if you have your own website, like say we had digitalear.com and we turn that on in our GMB, it would actually redirect or change the website address in our GMB listing from our real website to that uh, Google My Business website. And you don't want that. So what you can do is leverage both of these, turn on the Google My Business website, it'll change the URL, then edit the URL inside of your listing back to your original one, the one you want to rank. Uh, there might be some value in the GMB listing. You can actually send some traffic to it, maybe send some ads, uh, you, or you want to test some wording or something, you can throw it in there, or test some photos or something, and throw it in there and send some AdWords traffic to it. So there is value to this thing. However, just be careful when you're using it. Uh, and you can see from the list in this article, it's most people in the, the you know India and Indonesia are the top two uh, that are leveraging it, and then the numbers kind of fall off after that. You can add all these together and come up to 250,000. It's great and sounds wonderful, but in the grand scheme of things, there's not a lot of people turning it on because they don't, um, if they're like me, they don't want to mess with the, you know, creating the Google page and then having to relink my website. Or maybe one day, uh, if you turn on the GMB websites, then they're going to make it so that you can't uh, change that website anymore and direct to your website, which could be an issue. Uh, also, I think these are going to, the purpose of these is probably to replace the Google Plus brand pages. That's where I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, if you notice, if you've created a GMB listing any time recently, that it no longer automatically creates a Google Plus brand page for you or... Uh, so I think this is going to be the replacement for that. And I bet you brand pages in Google Plus might disappear. If it wasn't for the tie-in with YouTube, which it seems like they're connecting that better to GMB, uh, I don't think they would use a Google Plus page, uh, brand pages anymore. And uh, I don't know, maybe this is the another nail in the coffin of Google Plus. I like Google Plus. I like using it. We get a little bit of engagement out of it. And we get to see, uh, but that's more, honestly, it's more for creatives from what I see nowadays. It's turning into a photo sharing kind of platform. Uh, there are some good groups and stuff, but uh, I don't know. Google kind of uh, washed their hands of that program, in my opinion. Seer Interactive, it's a SEO industry update on the uh, mobile first. It's a pretty good article. Basically, what it highlights is here's some things that it could uh, re change in, um, but it also points out the same thing that we print, we announced on on this show uh, back after SMX Advance is that they don't expect this to roll out until 2018, and then some things you can do you should be thinking about right now anyway uh, if you don't have a mobile solution set up. Here's what I want to say: I think the mobile index. Uh, it's probably not going to be mobile first as they are going to maybe they will use resources to show 
different search results on mobile than desktop. But with um, web designers, well, here, I think the Google actually approaches too late. And with web designers and developers moving into providing more uh, responsive web solutions and designs and development these days, I think that Google's going to find that this is probably not something that they uh, want to use resources on. To keep a completely separate index is essentially you're crawling and indexing the, the internet twice. And it doesn't make sense to me to do that, especially if more and more sites are taking care of responsive or implementing responsive uh, patterns. What I would have done if I was running Google, unfortunately I'm not, but if I was running Google, I would have said, hey, we are going to reward responsive and mobile-ready sites better in the search results and just left it at that. So if you have a responsive or mobile uh, website, then you are going to rank higher in mobile and desktop. It's just the way it should be. Why double the resources? And I think because they announced this project in 2016, 2017, they said oh, it's not going to be out until 2018. Uh, my guess is they're probably going to push this back. I think it's going to be it's one of those things that was a great idea at the time, but technology is kind of outpacing what Google is doing. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be an issue. There's a little bit here about AMP as well. Uh, I'm still on the on the fence for AMP. I'm thinking that uh, really I think that it, for your local business and you probably don't need it. Uh, but if you're based informational based uh, business uh, where you you know you make your money, you live and die off informational based services, kick in the AMP. Um, they're getting a little better now. They started allowing uh, ads in there. Um, but I haven't seen a whole lot with forms and stuff. But at least you get some ads so you can kind of monetize it uh, for that mobile traffic. Next is Moz. It's uh, is the new most powerful ranking factor search task accomplishment. This is White Boy Friday. Kind of clickbait. Not going to lie. I was actually expecting him to say that this is going to be uh, the click-through rate was the number one search factor. But basically it's uh, another take on bounce rate. Basically, what it means is, let's say you're searching for uh, blue widgets, and does your website solve the problem that is related to how to fix my blue widget? And if it doesn't, then they're going to go back to the search results, right? So if your bounce rate is high, you're, you have a uh, opportunity to lose the rankings that you that Google is actually rewarding you with. Versus if you like say you're number four and your bounce rate is lower than everyone else's, that might be singling Google that you're actually solving the problem and increase your rank. So this is a pretty good, it's a good theory. I like it. Uh, and I think uh, people should actually go ahead and, and try to do this anyway. You can increase time on your site, you lower your bounce rate, increase conversions by solving the issue. So is it the number one ranking factor? Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, title tag, all that other stuff is there. But this is significantly very important, even more so now. Uh, especially when Google is doing a better job of looking at links and, and picking and choosing which ones they want to give you credit for. And, and if you have uh, really good content that's optimized well and converting well and keeping the visitors on the site and keeping them from going back to the search results. I think you're doing a great job anyway. So this is a pretty good video. I think you'll enjoy it. I know I did. I got a couple nuggets out of it. Uh, beyond the, the search ranking factors, more in, in a content format and stuff like that, content ideas. So 
Uh, check that out at your leisure. Did you know that Google sees Java links? That's pretty interesting. So basically what it's saying, let's say iframe, that's, you know, it's a form of Java or you use Java to embed another people, another website into your website or vice versa. Uh, those links are actually what we, from what we can tell is the, it's do follow links uh, inside of search console and you get credit for them and they boost your rankings. But you can't see them inside of uh, the tools, Ahrefs, uh, Moz, Majestic, etc. They don't let you see those inside of tools because they're not reading the JavaScript. They're looking at the Ahrefs tags. So the argument in this in this post is that those tools should actually uh, start scanning for and looking for the JavaScript links. Now, here's why I think this is probably important. What happens if, let's say, I write a script for a, a software tool and I send, uh, I don't know, 100,000 of these JavaScript type links. I basically embed your website on 100,000 junk sites to create links for you. One, you're not going to know they're there unless you look in Search Console. And even if you use Search Console, you're not going to find all of them. So how is Google going to handle that? I think there's... A couple of things here that uh, could cause issues for Google is if the other tools don't start looking for these links to help people in case of it's a negative SEO thing. Um, people are going to complain and then Google's going to remove the backlink power from the JavaScript backlinks. So while this article is well intended, I think it could actually hurt because it's going to identify to more people that people you can see these links now everyone knows it now it's been on search engine land uh, and then uh, it's going to get abused and then google's going to shut off the power just like everything else so um, i think it's certainly something to watch and at least investigate for yourself it's a pretty cool uh, concept search engine journal here is the 25 most expensive adwords keywords not really a whole lot of surprises in here. Business services, bail bonds, casinos, lawyers, asset management, insurance, payday loans, restoration, degrees, medical coding, rehab, timeshare, etc. You can get these lists pretty much updated all over the internet on any day-to-day -day -day basis. But what I like about here is, one, they kind of broke down how they uh, look at it why people are paying some more and some of the uh, the common denominators uh, in the ads that are kind of driving this up so I think you'll you'll enjoy this post and you'll maybe even get a couple of niche ideas uh, if you're an agency uh, looking to niche out and support one specific type of service so uh, read this up Again, you can find more extensive lists, more up-to-date lists uh, all over the place. I'd probably start at the source of this one, which was, I think it's, yeah, WordStream. They have a, an up-to-date list all the time, too, so check it out. SEM Rush blog is how social metrics for social media strategy and track them. This is actually really important. Uh, we were also, well, we were depending, especially because we're getting into the social media marketing uh, realm as well. We don't have any clients for it yet because um, we're, we're just not ready for it. And it's not that we're not comfortable with it. We're just not ready to implement that in the quality standard that we, we want to hold. So uh, 
Um, but what this does is it's a tool inside of SEM Rush that pulls in your metrics uh, from the different uh, social media things. You connect it to these to SEM Rush, and then you plug it in and fire it off, and it pulls in all that data. It gives you instead of going to each one and looking at their specific analytics programs inside each platform, it gives you one place to go. I like it because of that and the ease of use. You can see the engagement rates and other audience information. Uh, for every network that they allow you to connect to, and it's pretty cool to see where you're wasting your time and where you're not. And it even gives you some hashtag ideas uh, for you know Instagram. You can probably leverage those and transfer it over to, to Twitter as well, depending on you know where what and where you're marketing. So check this out if you're not using SEM Rush. This is one of two of our go-to tools. Like every audit we do ends up in SEM Rush. Uh, so. Um, if you're not using it, go ahead and check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. PPC Hero, why if the if function adds need to be in your testing rotation. Now, I didn't even know about these. Basically, there is it's literally an ad based off the if function. So if the ad is for mobile, show this ad. Uh, if the ad is from template or uh, coming from a tablet, show this ad. If the ad is coming from desktop, show this ad. It's pretty cool function uh, that we're certainly looking at leveraging. Here's what's interesting: the engagement rates actually increased if you if you change it up. So you have they are tested against the extended text ads uh, versus the if ads, and the in, the cost of the ads went down. The conversions went up, and the click through rate went up. On the if versions, so I'm going to, to try these out. I'm definitely. I got a couple uh, charities. We're spending ten thousand dollars a month for these charities in AdWords. We're going to test these out and see if we can get our clicks down, um, or our clicks ups and our conversions up. Uh, just playing with the the use of the if ads. There is another link to a page here to turn those to to actually know how to use them. Uh, so I'd definitely check this out. This kind of rolls in really well with our PPC uh, interview we're going to have later on. Um, you know, add this to what he's talking about too, and you can actually save yourself a lot of money and get better conversions that way. And our last site is a new one. It's submitted by a reader. It's RankPay.com. Is how to optimize your website for voice search. Here's what I'm going to say. Uh, you know, we look into our analytics. We see the keywords that people, how, how they got there. Um, and we have two analytics programs that help us do it, even though we don't, Google doesn't send us all the information. But we know if and when we're getting uh, some voice search stuff. And right now, honestly, all the traffic that's coming from voice search is informational. How do I do? What do I do? Where can I find um, what is the address of that kind of those kind of things? So, um, my gut feeling is that these are going to increase. However, it's not going to be a significant money maker for pretty much anyone. It is going to lead to a lot of informational searches on uh, probably make it even more important to be in the the rich snippets and the knowledge graph so that you know your information your list of how to make x uh, can be read out by these services so will it give you more traffic probably not but potentially yes and then will it give you more sales i'm going to go with no um, but it will increase your brand recognition 
so if people are doing the same type of voice search over and over in the same market and you are the one that is always providing that information, well, guess who they're going to go to when they want to buy something from your market? They're going to go to you. So uh, again, I would use these for informational type searches and, and leverage all of that. All right, that is it for the uh, the blog posts that we have for episode 43. I hope you enjoyed them. And now we're going to roll on to our interview with Derek Booth. You can see that on digitalear.com. Go to episode number 43. Scroll all the way to the bottom, and the video will be down there uh, if you're listening on the podcast and you want to see the, the Scream stuff. Uh, Derek Booth is from Sigma Web. It's in the U.K. It's a digital marketing service. They're serving clients in the U.K., obviously. And, uh, again, the topic is discussion of setting up AdWords and specifically how to find keyword targets for both your PPC and SEO campaigns using Google AdWords in the cheapest and most efficient way possible. So without further ado, here's me and Derek Booth. Enjoy. Hey everyone, Clint Butler here from Digital Ear and welcome to SEO This Week. This week we're going to add a new uh, feature. Basically we're going to do some interviews from people within the industry. We'll do this every other week so that you can some time to plan. Uh, and maybe even watch this live if we start doing it that way. Our first guest is Derek Booth. Derek is from the UK. Say hi, Derek. Hello, everyone. <laughs> we brought Derek on because he is a PPC guru. As a matter of fact, if we run into issues, we're, we call Derek. So he's like our break glass in case of emergency guy. And we wanted to start off with him because all of our SEO campaigns actually start off with PPC. We use PPC for keyword validation, keyword research, market research, geo search research, and a whole lot more, which you've probably seen or heard about in other SEO This Week episodes. So with that, Derek, if you don't mind, just tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you come from, all that good stuff. Yeah, my name is Derek Booth, and I'm from Wigan in the... Uh uh, Manchester is the way that most people outside of the area ask, how far is that from Manchester? So I'm in, in Wigan, which is in England, which is in the UK. And I've been doing online marketing, SEO and PPC since it started pretty much. So that's 1998, I was doing online marketing. And I was in it uh, doing pay-per-click in the very early days when it was uh, Overture and there was uh, Yahoo Marketing and MSN Ad Center, I've been through all of those. And obviously I've been doing the Google AdWords since, yeah, since the dawn of time pretty much. <laughs> everything through, you see everything change, but nothing changes, everything stays the same. It's, uh, it's pretty much how I look at it really. That's true. You mentioned a lot of other platforms. Do you? Why do you prefer AdWords over the other ones? Uh, it's mainly the ease of use. Um, I I use Bing now. Um, Overture and, and Yahoo have, have stopped when it started uh, way back many years ago. And it used to be as well with shopping campaigns as well. You you would just get as on as many places as possible. And over in the UK, there was um, a, a decent market share for the likes of Yahoo and, uh, and MSN. But as time's gone on, it's, it's pretty much been um, more dominated by Google. 
So Google AdWords has has really been the uh, the main place. But, but there are other places to advertise. Uh, tried things like AdBright and, and a few other things, but they're not really the way that I I work. And I, I like to get the the fishing uh, out of it as well. So I find AdWords is is really good for that. But we have just recently been using Bing. We've noticed a bit of a change recently, the last uh, sort of few months to maybe a year, that we're now seeing more traffic from Bing. And I know there's been a, a lot of talk about that with uh, using the Edge browser because it comes part of your, your Windows 10 experience and a lot of people don't know how to change it. And also, if you change it on Edge, you, you get your browser changed, but then you open a new tab and that second tab is... Edge is uh, Microsoft again, unless you know how to change that. So we, we have started using Bing. I do have a few accounts on Bing, but I I really prefer the, the Google AdWords setup, to be honest. Yeah. Do you notice a difference in conversion rates from AdWords and Bing? Like we, We've heard before that uh, Bing will give you some good traffic, but it doesn't convert as well as the Google traffic does. I think it's like anything. It depends on the market. Uh, the, the way that we used to look at uh, Yahoo and, and Bing in the uh, sort of in the old days, so to speak, is that it was a lot of uh, females, uh, particularly with uh, Yahoo, the way that the, uh, the the front screen was laid out, and you got your weather, you get your horoscopes, you get all of that, and so it was a different. Uh, uh, traffic demographic, and as that's moved along, what we find with with Bing is that the conversion rates don't don't really change that much, to be honest. But the traffic is less, um, but also it's cheaper. So we we tend to find it is a bit cheaper. But you know you can't really build. Uh, well, I don't think you can in the UK anyway. You can't really build your online business just based on what you'd get from uh, from your Bing and your, your ad center. It, it just it just isn't enough there. So right. we just use it as a sort of as a bit of an extra. Uh, and it's nice that it you know that it comes in. You've got your email marketing, your PPC, your SEO, your PPC split between Bing and, and Google. You've just got multiple channels where you're just picking up those those odd orders. But I, I would never look at it and say, yeah, Bing is fantastic conversion rates or Bing is terrible conversion rates compared to, to Google. I, I think they're pretty much a, a similar set, really. Yeah. I kind of like hearing that from other people, especially other agencies and stuff, because it tells me that they're just ignoring a significant uh, volume of search, and it just makes the competition a lot easier. I hope that Bing never gets popular, but it keeps up what it's doing. Uh, that way I keep those cheap conversion costs down. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice support. It's, just, it's always the, the icing on the cherry and one on top of your cake, really. Yeah, and if people don't want to use it, then you know, then then fine. And Bing has even made it easier by adding that import tool, so you can export out of AdWords straight into to Bing, and you can mimic your account. So they they've made it really easy. They're, they're desperate for people's um, business, and um, but yeah, I, I know loads of people talk about these things. How many actually action it and and do it? That's you know that's where I think a lot of the figures come from because somebody says something. Next thing you know, it's it's fact because ten key people have said it, and none of them are actually using it or have actually tested it, which for me is is perfect because we 
you know, we use it, we see it. That's that's how it is. Yeah, for sure. Earlier you mentioned your uh, keyword phishing. Can you explain that keyword research process a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's it's really two elements in one, what we, we do with, with pay-per-click and, and how we make this work. So the, the first element would be someone would come along and, and they would say, um, as an example, just off the, off the bat, uh, just because I've got one on my desk, uh, a blue watch. So they, they would say, you know, blue watch, oh, that's a really expensive keyword. How can you set up to get blue watch um, a, a lot cheaper? Because it just doesn't work for me. The ROI doesn't work. So one of the things that the, um, that the setup does is it, it gets that cost per click down. So I, I know instances where I've seen a match like for like and, and also been an agency at times. We work in the same, uh, same sector. Uh, I, I can see that the way that we set stuff up, the cost per click that we get on exact uh, keywords. When I say exact keywords, I don't mean exact in the setup. I mean, someone says I'm using Blue Watch and I'm paying, say, 50 pence, and I'm using Blue Watch and I'm getting it for 20 pence. So I've seen that a number of times where we pay a lot less than what other people are paying for the keyword. So that's one part of it. We would also then use those seed words to find other phrases, that, that's the phishing element. The second part of, of the way that I set things up and do the phrase research is my first question would be, why are you going after Blue Watch? Because it's an expensive keyword and it's, it's too generic. Most people come in and they're desperate for those two word generic key, keywords or key phrases. But the, but the thing is with, with those key phrases, your conversions are low and your cost per click is, is really high. But what the uh, keyword tools will tell you is that those two word key phrases are the most popular, they are the uh, most competitive, they're the highest cost per click. So therefore, people tend to migrate towards them. And, and what that's doing is it's just filling the market full of so many people who are after the same key phrase. So what I like to do in, in the, the way of fishing is to think about it in perhaps a different way. So rather than go for blue watch, the, the ultimate goal here is to sell blue watches. So if using a, a slightly different set of key phrases, you can sell just as many, if not more blue watches, at a lot cheaper cost per click, then that's the objective. So what I would do is I would think about different phrases, I uh, can show a technique about how I find different keywords, and that's, that's what we do. And then from there, you also get the phishing as well. So the phishing is the element where you find new keywords and new key phrases. Now, I, I use this method over and over. I, I've done this method um, pretty much ever since the, the dawn of time, really. And on AdWords, they didn't used to give you this information. So these are called search terms. You used to only be able to get these actually from downloading a report. But over the last few years, I think as Google's got a little bit more savvy and that they've taken the keywords out of your SEO, they've added these uh, features in and you can now get them from one click within your campaign, whereas before it was a, a bit of a, a hidden gem. Uh, so that's, that's fishing. Let's say there's, there's two sides to it. So. Very cool. 
Uh, when you're taking on a, a pre-existing account, what's the typical account structure strategy that you like to use? Um, it, there's a, a, it's a completely different uh, different process. When when you're looking at an existing account, that that account tends to be, if it's someone who doesn't know about pay-per-click, but they may be self-taught from what Google's uh, shown them, what that account would be like when you first get in is there would tend to be one, maybe two campaigns. Usually there's a campaign in there called campaign one and that's paused and it's got crazy figures on it because it's just been set up the way Google tells you to when you first start. Then there's probably a campaign two, which is the one that's live. You click into that, then there's maybe 30, 40 ad groups at one extreme and the other is there's maybe one ad group. You go into the one ad group and it is full of keywords. Quality scores are really low, which means they're paying a lot more per click. And also because the quality scores are low, you know that those key phrases are just not converting. Hop over to the ads tab and you'll see in the ads that they've got one advert running, maybe two if you're lucky. Because that's what Google does when you go through the system where it encourages you to, to set up really quickly and to just get going. They have recently changed it with the new beta interface. So they, they really, well, I, I suppose they're not really trying. They are explaining and saying you should be choosing multiple keywords. You're better to run multiple ads. But in, in my experience of watching people set up, and, and I've seen thousands, literally thousands of, uh, of campaigns from people, they tend to just go with the quickest and easiest. They put it up there, and their cost per click is through the roof. And it doesn't convert well but maybe the phone's ringing, maybe they're getting a few inquiries. Once they reach that point, once they're, they're hooked, a little bit like a, a drug, once they're in, they don't want to stop, so they won't turn it off. So their answer to getting more sales and to making things work better is to increase the budget, put more money on. And once they've reached that process, it, it's, it's a very dangerous situation, and I've seen companies spend um, you know, a lot of money on their, on their account. So what I try to do if it's an existing account is try to find where they're wasting money and places where they uh, waste money are they set up broad match without really understanding what the implications of it are. They let it run, they put high money on and they've got uh, key phrases that they're, that they're bidding on that they don't even sell the product for or they're just way off base. And... You know, there's maybe a fraction of that budget that is actually helping them. So if I could just, should I just show that on the screen? Yeah, go ahead. So on the, um, on the instance there of the key phrases, this is a, a campaign that I, I just set up. As you can see, it's only just recently been set up. I've been doing this for, um, for some videos just as a little bit of help. It's a, it's a client that I've got. Um, and I've got rid of most of the sensitive data. But as you can see here, the way this is set, when I'm doing my fishing, I, I start by putting uh, modifiers in on the keywords. The campaigns, the way I set those up, I say that it's fishing because later down the line, once I've found good phrases, I move them out from fishing and I put them into an exact campaign. So the object here 
is to find good phrases. Once I've found that they are good phrases, what I'll then do is I'll take them and move them somewhere else. So that's what the, what the process is. On my ad groups, I, I just put a, an F so that when I'm looking at reports, I can see instantly whether it's a campaign or an ad group just because I'm scanning across lots of Excel sheets. So on this key phrase, what we're after is uh, knitting patterns. So I'll just open up another tab and I'll just quickly show the way that I do this. So how did I come up with uh, baby knitting patterns? I put in the generic term as a starter, click back in, and then there we go straight away, we've, we've got baby. So you're using the Google Suggest feature? Yeah, so using the Google Suggest. So what I would also do is then maybe go to the beginning. As, as I start typing in, I can see on Google Suggest, I've got a lot going on there with baby. So I'm really sure that baby knitting patterns is going to be a, a pretty decent key phrase. Mm. So what I've just done now is I've gone from knitting patterns, which is a two word generic, and I've moved over to baby knitting patterns, which is now three words. So that's going to be a lot cheaper and it's more targeted. So just off better conversions, better sales. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sitting here going, do you know what? Wow. I have just found the meaning of life and it is long tail keywords. You know, that's not, not what this is. <laughs> Let's get knitting patterns and whack two or three uh, words on there. And, and, and there you go. So what we've got there now is baby knitting patterns. So that's now my seed. Oh, this is what I start fishing with. So just a quick glance down the side, you can see the quality scores. The vast majority are um, high. We've got one here, which is at five. So if I'm working on this particular account, the first thing that I do is I would go into here and I would want to know why that is only a five. Because I, when you first set up, you generally get a seven. I don't want to be really anything less than a seven. But really, I'm, you know, deep down, I'm a little bit disappointed if it's a seven. I, I'm after sort of nines and tens, really, to be honest. <laughs> well, you hate so, to see my accounts. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I've got tens here. So I'll take this top one, which is what we've just been doing. So even with a generic fishing term, and you can see there's a lot of activity here, you can see that it's possible to get 10 out of 10. So... The other things that I look at in terms of markers, I want a click-through rate that is better than 2%. I want an average position that is better than 4 because that means it's going to be at the top. And I want to be looking at my uh, costs. So here this is saying the estimate for the first position bid is 44p. To just be at the top of the page, the estimate is 27p. I've got here uh, the first page bid, which could be at the bottom is 11p. So here's my average cost per click. So I've got 36p. So I'm up near the top. I'm a bit better than that one. And out of this entire row, this is probably the worst performing that I've got, which you can see as we just roll down. But even on the worst performing, my 36p 
is still better than the, the 44p. So what we'll do live now is we'll dive in and I'll see and show you why that's, that's too high. So okay. just before we leave this screen, you can see the others. I'm at 36p on this one, again, for a lot of clicks. And this is saying the first position bid, it's up at £1.99. And at the top of the page, it's 50p. So what we're looking at is getting a really decent position. You're looking at these first position bids that, that people tend to just put their money up to. And I'm 36p or £1.99, 37p, £1.34, 39p, £1.12. So as you can see, the average cost per click on here is way cheaper than what the first position bid is. And we've got an average position that's quite high, which means at times we will definitely be showing in first position when other people's budgets run out and so on. So what this shows is that even with your generic terms, you can still beat um, many others in terms of what the average cost per click is. But let's go into... Your to quality the score is so high, right? Yeah. Okay. Quality score, uh, your probability of click and all of that. Even though in this situation, because this is a campaign that is specifically set up for a given reason, I haven't done anything other than my search and the phishing. So there are no ad extensions here. There isn't anything else going on here. There's no phone number. There isn't any specific location settings. This is just UK-wide for these key phrases, just to prove the phishing technique. So in here, I click into this ad group. Again, to keep it simple so I could show the, the technique, I've just kept it to, to the one key phrase. If this is a knitting patterns uh, for baby fishing ad group, if I was running this properly, I would definitely have in here several other keywords that were listed that were on, on topic. So it's just for the example, we, we've got one. You get, and those would be the ones you found in the Google Suggest, correct? Yeah, I'd, I'd put more of those in for sure. Okay. But they would have to be really tight on this, on this topic. Okay, so what I then do is I can click up here for search terms because there's only one. If, if I'm after an individual one and I've got multiple, you click the box and you take search terms from here. Because there's only one phrase, as it says that there are one selected, this is what I'm going to see. So one of the problems with the way that Google sets things up, we've got an average of 36 pence as a cost per click, and we were looking for baby knitting patterns. If we organize the columns by cost per click, we can see several cost per clicks here that are really quite high, 50p, 49p. So we've got this, all of these key phrases that are higher than our average. So with a little bit of work on some negatives, because for sure they don't do free uh, baby patterns at all. And I can see very clearly down this list, there's lots of mentions of the word free. So standard practice for people looking at PPC accounts, I'm not giving anything major here. You would obviously just tick the box. You'd add as a, negative what Google does by default is it just takes that individual phrase it makes it exact match and it sticks it on the ad group well I don't want it just on the ad group because actually the word free is not something that we do at all 
So what I do is I get rid of everything other than the word free on broad match, set it for the campaign and then save. So what I've now done for this entire campaign is I've future proofed anything that's going to come up with the word free in it. But when I look at these words, you can see here where it says added and excluded. It doesn't show me on this report that I've actually excluded this because I only took the one word on broad match. If I was to tick the box, add as negative and save, you then get the excluded. So what that means is that you've taken the full phrase in its entirety and, and added it. But there's no point doing that to me because otherwise I'd be ticking these forevermore. Free is the killer word that I don't want. So just adding it like I did on broad maps will save you a load of time. So for a new person, though, they probably want to make sure they're looking at this every day to get into the habit of checking it and using negative keywords, etc. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty that that's not really something that's say specific to to a fishing. That is pretty standard for anybody that does pay per click. They should be taught to do that. It's not groundbreaking. You put in your negatives for for words that you don't want. Now, one way of reducing your negatives is if we go back here, because I've plussed in front, that's a broad modified, and because I've got three words, knitting patterns baby is always going to appear, or very close is going to appear in all of the words. So I'm really reducing the amount of negative work that I need to do. Right. If that was just left, left as knitting patterns without baby in there, then you'd end up with a lot more work that you'd need to do on the negatives. So back into this. So that's the way of getting rid of the negatives. Lots of those free ones, are, say, are more expensive. So that naturally now is going to reduce my cost per click on average. If I flip it the other way and I see the, the ones that are cheap, so these are much less than, than what we're looking for. Can I find in here any gems straight away, knitted baby hat patterns? I know they do them. It's two impressions, one click, and it costs 11 pence. So if I can see uh, an opportunity, knitted baby hat patterns, I would go back to here. Uh, I just put baby uh, hat, see whether or not I've got suggest. There's lots of suggest there for uh, baby hat. So what I'm now doing is thinking, yeah, baby hat is a quite popular, but it's also a lot better than just knitting patterns. So in this instance now, what I would do is I would do a negative Because it's baby hat that I'm after, I would do it on a phrase. So I never want the phrase baby hat to appear anymore within this ad group. And what I'm then going to do is set up a new campaign for baby hat. And I would start with these as my fishing. So I'm now going to fish on knitted baby hat patterns. So just to recap on that, this is a phrase I really want. I test it on here to see that there's, there's definitely value there within it. 
as we can see, there's lots there. It's something that they sell. It's a, a niche that, they, that they're in. So I'm going to pause it in my generic area and make it a negative, sorry, my generic area like this. So baby hat is never going to appear again in this ad group. And I'm going to set up a new campaign with an ad group that's focused on baby hats. And that is going to be my new fishing term. And Why do you do, prefer to use a new campaign versus just making a new ad group? If, you, if it's tight on the topic and if you're um, doing this at a low end, then yes, I would just do new ad groups within the same fishing. But because I know what I'm doing in advance, I'm going to do a lot specifically around the individual types of um, of parts. Because for knitting, you've got jumpers, you've got babies, then down into babies, you've got baby hats, you've got mittens. And also that we can see down here, we've also, I, I've picked up another fantastic keyword that I saw, which is premature. If I just flip this the other way. So I found here premature, which again was a phrase that I, I never would have uh, dreamed of. Mm -hmm. So premature baby knitting patterns is something that I want. So I know this is a really big area. So when it's a big area, what I tend to do, we split more rather than throwing lots of ad groups in under the one campaign. Okay. So, so that, that's why. So for e-commerce, you would recommend one campaign for product type or if it's a service like a dentist and they're doing cosmetic dentistry and kids dentistry, they want to have a campaign for each one of those specific things too versus combining them all into one campaign and managing ad groups. You definitely want to split campaigns because at campaign level, you're making decisions based on uh, the way that your ads are served. So one of the things about setting a campaign up is you can let it run standard or you can accelerate, you can do different times of the day, you can do different parts of the country. So if you've got loads of ad groups and they're all just under the one campaign, you've only got one way of saying uh, how you want that to be served. Now with the, the baby hats, even though it's going to be popular, I know that's not going to be as popular as just the, the knitting patterns or the baby knitting patterns. So on the baby hats one, I would set that up and I would have that set as accelerated because I want to get as many of those opportunities as possible, because there might only be 200 searches compared to 10,000 searches for, for baby knitting patterns. So I don't want to miss an opportunity. So where I know I'm breaking down, I, I need that in a, an area where I can really make sure I, I pick up that traffic. So your campaign is, is where you make your uh, decisions about your ad serve as well. So that's why I do that as well. If you've got a, an e-commerce site and you've got 50 different products, which is not unreasonable, or 50 different ranges because you're a, a big DIY store, I, I wouldn't necessarily there be thinking I need 50 campaigns for each one. I'd perhaps look at grouping them a little bit better to make it more manageable. And then I'd probably have, again, a similar number of exact match campaigns w where I would be grouping similar uh, products. Uh, or similar sections, so I, I could work with them as a, as a whole. So really it's a judgment call based on how big your site is and how much you're, you're looking to do. Right. So here, just from this one, in, in my fishing, what I've discovered 
there's within these key phrases, free is a really popular phrase. There's a lot of traffic around it, but I don't actually want to pay for that traffic. So what I would do here now is I would write a, a blog post that was titled uh, entitled Free Baby Patterns. I would mention it within the blog, and I might at some point do an offer where I give a free baby pattern with, say, six balls of wool, because I know that's a popular phrase. So I would rank the page ready. I'd get that ready in my SEO. If I then do that offer, I would immediately turn on a separate ad group using free baby patterns, and I would take that to one of the landing pages that I'd already got working within my SEO that already was set up and geared up for it because it's already got uh, traffic going to it. It's already proven. It's going to have a good quality score because I already know what the key phrases are. So I'm pretty much going to go straight in at a 10, and I'm going to be getting people there uh, to that to that offer so that's how what i also use that for so it's really good for your for your seo for, for finding your phrases there nice excellent bonus tip <laughs> well, am i getting paid for bonus tips is that the <laughs> <laughs> maybe <later>. so <laughs> yeah so also going down we've got shawl so baby shawl, there's another one here, download. So just these generic words that you, that you can work in. I found here baby girl. So, oh yeah, so if I found baby girl, because it's on a, a, a girl, if there's a girl, there must be a boy. So using the, the variable type setup that I try and work with, everywhere that I can find a word and I can substitute something else by using a thesaurus, or by going onto the, the dictionaries, that to me is how I map out the keywords. So once I find a pattern, uh, I want to work on that pattern. So if I find a, a really good phrase, so we've got here as well, baby hat knitting pattern, just on its own. So we can see there's quite a few baby hats. We've got here baby blanket knitting patterns. So okay, it's really obvious. What I wanna do is I wanna take knitting patterns and I wanna put in front of it items for a baby that you can knit. So now I'm thinking baby mittens, baby boots, uh, baby cardigan, and so on. So I would then definitely just go uh, baby plus knitting plus pattern somewhere, and I'd be really focusing on these, on these items. So that then would affect the way that I would write the advert. And the advert and the landing page, I'd be saying to my client, what you really need to be doing here, because I'm seeing in pay-per-click, there's a trend for these particular key phrases. We, we really want to shape the way that your shopping cart works, because this is how people talk. It's what they're searching for. So making those minor adjustments on your landing page. So maybe the landing page says knitting patterns for baby work. Well, by changing it to baby knitting patterns, you're absolutely going to improve your SEO. You're also going to improve your conversion rates and you're gonna get your cost per click lower. So these cost per clicks here uh, that we've got, these averages, are just based on me setting this up. Um, as you can see, uh, 7th of July, so it's been running, what, uh, 10 days, 11 days. And all I did was set this up right out of the box and I haven't touched it, just to, to prove a point with people, because I had a lot of people say to me, you can't set up so many broad match keywords and be getting a 10 out of 10 quality score. Well, you can. It's, it's there. 
And you're doing that because you added your the keyword knitting patterns baby your ad and the landing page all have those three terms that's how you got the quality support right yeah but in terms of obviously that you know that the customer another sensitive data i don't want to go through and show the, adver the adverts and then through to the uh, you know through to the website yeah um, in terms of the process yeah you, you're right and, and also um, another little bonus thing. I don't know if people know this, but the pay-per-click quality scoring algorithm is also what's used in SEO, so the ranking algorithm. So if you get your quality scores right in your pay-per-click, you should have a pretty good chance of ranking those keywords on your uh, on your site for SEO. Nice. So what you you really want to do is think about your landing page and not perhaps just throw some uh, some pay-per-click at it. You, you want to be doing this in a structured manner. Does it take a bit longer? Uh, yes. Could I now immediately go back to this page and go add keyword? I'll go add keyword. Google will give me an absolute uh, cartload of the phrases that it wants me to use. There's absolutely thousands of them. So I could now just go add all from this category. But then what I'm going to get is ones in here that are not as good. It's going to get too messy. You can see there's loads of them. It's just way too messy. I have got no idea which ones of these are going to be any good. So what I do is I add um, a few in here. You know, you can be maybe five or ten in here that you absolutely know are really around that same topic, and you can work from that. Uh, depending on how popular the key phrase is, you can just put one key phrase in if you want to and do it the way I'm doing it here, do it really slow and deliberate. But if it's a client job, they're probably not paying you uh, enough to, to sit down for hours on end to just work on one particular product. And after all, it's results that you, that you want. So you, you probably want to be putting a few words in here and then hitting your search terms and finding, finding what's working. But just to reiterate what I absolutely would not do is go here click this and start dumping these in whoa yes oh look newborn that's a really good one well let's add those in before you know it you've got all these keywords you're going to be all over the place how do you know which one works but and what these are <laughs> sorry so then you can burn through a lot of money that way too <laughs> yeah so what, what these are going to do is Google's telling you what the most popular is. Well, the object here is to sell more product. It, it isn't to find the most popular keywords. Because Google knows what they are already. Just put them in. What you're looking for, and the reason why this is good, is because these are actual clicks through your advert to your website. So you can already see the, the journey. So that's why using this method is, is, is pretty good. Nice. Now you've shared that, you've shared a little bit about your quality score optimization. Um, is there anything else that you do as standard practice to kind of reduce excessive spend? Uh, yes, I mean, I'd look at negatives. I'd also look at the landing page and I'd look at the adverts. So those, in terms of excessive spend, Usually it's a case of saying to someone, you've put two or three broad match words in there, have a look at what's going on, put some negatives in. If you're not sure on the negatives and you don't want to spend that time, but you're saying actually what you want is baby knitting patterns, don't do the broad match. 
not everybody wants to do fishing. Some people just want uh, just want traffic. So in that instance, what I would say to them is just do an exact match on baby knitting patterns if that's what you want. So that way they'll not be wasting money on lots of key phrases that are of no use to them. So even though they might still be paying, you know, maybe 40, 45 pence per click, at least they know their 100 clicks went on baby knitting patterns and not on everything else. It also makes it then easier for them to write the advert because they've, they've only got one phrase to think about. And usually because they've chosen a generic term, the landing page on the website is going to be pretty generic and will match. So just by taking some of your most popular key phrases and making them exact match, if you've got a customer that doesn't understand, is not interested, or there's not a lot of money in it for you, that is a, a real quick win for how you can get a, a client's campaign in much, much better shape. Uh, another sort of word of warning is you quite often look at a client's campaign and see that it's got conversions. I no longer get excited about looking at conversions because a conversion in, in this context is something that somebody has set up. Now, I've seen conversions where people have just put it that they've visited more than one page on a, on a site. So they've added that as a goal. They've imported that conversion into the client's AdWords and you're now making decisions based on whether someone's visited more than one page or not as a conversion. Also, I've seen it where a conversion is a successful collection of an email address. Well, if they then don't go on and purchase or book on your webinar or book your service, that isn't actually a conversion. Yes, it's important because it's part of your lead process, but you need some way of closing the loop. Otherwise, you can't work out effectively what your cost per click is or your cost per acquisition, I should say. You can't effectively work that out. So when I first look at a campaign, if it's an existing one, there are a lot of things that I, I quickly look at. If someone says it's, convert, it's converting data, what, what is it converting? Have you checked it? Have you proven it works? Because you don't want to make decisions based on inaccurate data. That's like the worst thing you can do. And if people have got a product and it's a phone call, put phone call software on there. If you don't want to put phone call software on there, then you know, perhaps find some way of adding maybe a code that you can use or maybe put a different phone number on just for your, for your adverts so you, at least you've got some element of tracking. A, another thing people do is they look for conversions online, forget the phone, take out the broad match because they're too expensive and the phone stops ringing. And then they're wondering what's, what's going on. So there's, there's a lot of alarm bells that I see when I look at accounts. So one is too few keywords, too many broad match, only one or two adverts in an ad group, and quality scores that are ranging anything from sort of one to five, where there's, there's no higher ones. If I look at an account straight away, I go straight to the keywords, have a look at what the quality scores are, and if I'm not seeing lots and lots of sevens and above, I know straight away there's a, there's a problem and the savings to be had. And, and to be fair, that is the vast majority of campaigns that I look at, um, even if it's been done by another agency. Uh, when I've been uh, looking at campaigns, um, I, I found one once which was set up fantastically well. They'd done postcodes, they'd done uh, locations, 
they, they've basically done uh, so many different things and it, it was a really, really good campaign, but that is few and far between. One last question and we'll let you uh, be on your way because we'll almost hit an hour mark here is you mentioned landing pages a lot. <clears throat> we talked about adding the keywords to the landing pages, but are you making a unique landing page for each campaign or do you kind of take what they have and optimize their website a little bit better to match for your needs for your AdWords? Usually I optimize what they've got because it's easier. Um, I used to use Unbounce and create landing pages. Um, but then I found what I was doing was creating a lot of work for myself. Really what I prefer to do is educate the, the customer. So like in this instance, where we have found lots of different variations, I'm gonna present him with the data, we'll have a conversation uh, about his site, and then we will try to implement as many of these as possible. Because the, the way I like to work with clients is I'm, uh, I'm looking for uh, clients that wanna work, work with me. If the client is being really closed and is saying, well, I don't want you to do that, we're not doing that, you know, no, no matter what happens, you're definitely not doing that. Even though I think it's a pretty decent suggestion. If that happens, that in all honesty is not really a client that I want to work with because I'm trying to give him the benefit of my expertise. You can see it here clearly. This is what Google is saying. This is what your users are saying. Don't come back to me in a month's time after I've given you a load of suggestions backed up with proof. You not take them and then say to me, my sales are down. So I. I like to get people who are willing to work, which is the, you know, the customers that I get, the way that we approach it. So usually it's quite easy to, to make that type of adjustment on the sites. If a client is saying, well, actually most of it is good, but can we just test something away from my site because it's quite a big change? You know, fine, totally open to that scenario. So I would do, excuse me, <clears throat> So I would do then perhaps a, an unbounce or we'd perhaps try a different section on the site and see whether or not we could, we could get that working. Um, there are instances where for sure you'd create new sections. So again, maybe back to this one, maybe he's only got a knitting patterns section and they're not split down by the, into baby, jumper, so on and so on. So I would show him this data and I, I'd say, look, uh, looking at this data, it is probably in your better interest to make more of this section because of what we're seeing. So it's, it's, it's still then you're making new landing pages, you, you, you're changing the way the site works, but what you're doing is you're doing it with, with data that you can back it up with. And the beauty of doing it this way is you know your SEO is gonna benefit because as soon as you split down that one page and you can section that out, if you've now got a subcategory which is baby knitting patterns, which maybe wasn't there before, you've just given yourself a killer SEO page to have a go at because baby knitting patterns is going to be your uh, key phrase that you're going to go for for that particular page. So generally, I really like to work with what's there because I think it benefits everything. If you just go off and start building landing pages for fun, you're probably going to destroy the UX of the site. You're probably not really adding value in terms of the, uh, the SEO. And it's, it's probably not going to be a good user experience. Nice. So I, I tend to work with the site as much as possible. Yeah, we do too. I, 
you know, I, I don't mind landing pages if you're doing, I don't know if your conversion is the email opt-in and you're just trying to get leads so you can retarget or whatever. Um, then we'll use uh, landing pages like in ClickFunnels or something like that. But for the most part, we send everything directly to the site as well. <laughs> okay, so you're getting ready to release a course telling people how to do this and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Where can we find it? When we can expect it, et cetera? Uh, yeah, what I've done is I've done a, a, a trial basically to start off with. Uh, it's going to end up at about 20 videos. These videos will range from uh, sort of three, four minutes long up to maybe 10 minutes long. And the, the process that it runs through is starting from scratch, uh, a brand new setup, teaches you how to fish, shows you how to do the phrase research. I also go through how to create your adverts what to look for on your landing pages. There's um, uh, a few neat things in there about creating your adverts, which obviously we, we haven't covered today. Uh, one thing uh, that I like a lot is to take the key fra phrases actually from the landing page to make up your advert. Uh, again, that's another popular thing that I, I, I just see people don't do it. They just write things like uh, next day delivery or uh, get this quick or inquire now. And they just put words on there that are not relevant to the landing page. Whereas if you take your phrases that are relevant to the landing page and put them in your ad, you're actually testing as well for call to actions that you can put on your, on your page. So what the course does is it sort of goes through that process. It will show you start to finish, how to set up. I'll then go through and show the process of the, the way that I work the negatives the way that I extract out the exacts, and you will be able to see a complete start to finish just purely on the fishing. So there's nothing in here that covers things like the, the shopping feed and so on and so on and display. This is not a uh, 101 things with, advert, with AdWords. This is absolutely, if you set up in fishing using exactly this structure and this setup, then you will get the results that I'm getting and I'm seeing over and and over so the course is literally a look at this do this do this do this so if you follow it you will have a, a killer campaign set up in uh, in no time it's going to be priced at uh, around uh 500 pounds which i guess is not far off 500 dollars these days wherever you live and so there's going to be around 20 videos in total and that should be ready within the next sort of month, six weeks or so is, is the plan. And I'll probably get back onto, uh, onto you, Clint, through your uh, platform here with a, a link for people to, uh, to take it from there. But this, what I've just been through here is like a good, a good sample of the sorts of things that you'll see within that course. Nice. So in the meantime, how can people find you? The social media, website, maybe phone number if they're in the UK? Uh, the, the best way to get through to me is actually through the, uh, the company website, which is sigmaweb.co.uk. Um, I've got a few social media accounts, but to be honest, I'm not that big on, on social media. Um, you, you probably can find me, but the, the best way for sure is to get onto our website, which is uh, www.sigmaweb.co.uk. So that's S-I-G-M-A-W-E-B co.uk and there'll be a contact form on there and we for sure will we'll get back to you from that 
Nice. I'll drop that link in the show notes as well. Well, Derek, thank you very much again for taking some time with me today. Uh, I certainly learned a lot. I'm sure the uh, listeners and viewers will as well. I appreciate all the extra effort. Yeah, enjoyed it. Been good. Great. All right, folks, that's it. It wraps us up for our first interview. Hopefully you liked it. If you have any suggestions for the interviews, go ahead and drop them in the comments on any platform that you're watching or listening to. And thank you very much.